0: i right. room before you I bow
1: set free like you see fit right now God even before sermon comes out of my mouth god right now you know what somebody needs somebody has come father and they may be on their last leg and they need a touch from you lord i pray right now that they feel your supernatural presence in the room that they feel your spirit and your grace and your truth and your love god touch each and every one of our hearts god that we may hear what you are saying to us today father and i ask that you speak through me god I have nothing to say but what you give me God and right now we take this time and we honor you we reverence you and we give you glory and praise for this is your place this is your house and we come here to give you glory and to give you praise be pleased with us oh God receive our sacrifice of praise oh Jesus we ask this and the blessings and the mighty in the matchless name of your darling son, Jesus, Father, we do pray and we shout Hosanna to the highest in that name. That name at every name shall bow. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess in heaven and in earth and under there that Jesus Christ is not just a prophet. Jesus Christ is not just a good person, but Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he deserves all our praise. And we give it to you. Can you give God some praise in the building? (laughs) Hallelujah. The spirit of the Lord is in this place. Amen. I solicit your prayers. How I many are glad to be in the house of the Lord? Give God a hand clap of praise and also welcome our online guests that watch us every week, weekend and week out. We're so grateful to them. them. Thankful to our men who are, who are stepping up and running our communion services and things like that. You'll see less and less of me and more and more gets good. Uh, it just does me good. Um, maybe I'm a little biased cause I'm a guy, but it just gives me joy when I see men that'll step up and lead in worship and lead in the service and lead communion and men that will lead in, in service. Uh, the ladies do it all the time and we're grateful for what they do. It doesn't go unnoticed, but it's time for the men of God to step up and, and do what God is calling them to do. And it just did my heart glad to see all of our men serving today and giving. Can you give God praise for that? For those of you who may have missed the translation, Lath is from the Middle East, and in the Middle East they spoke Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And as he read those words, most likely what Lath was saying is what they would have heard. (laughs) You get to hear how Jesus said what he said and how he said it in the language in which he spoke. And we're we're grateful to have such a diverse group of people from all over the world uh, in this place that. uh, We can be able to serve God, and God is making a representation of heaven right in this church. For there are people from all backgrounds and walks of life, and we're so grateful for all of you. The book of Luke, chapter 19. The book of Luke 19. This is Palm Sunday. How many are glad for Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 40 to everyone under the sound of my voice. We're so glad to see you. For those who are out sick, we're grateful for you. For those of you who've been out a little while traveling, you know who you are, we're glad to have you back. We're gonna read together Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. And if you could read as is our custom with us. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can welcome to read from your digital devices or you can read from the screens. And when you have it, say amen. Amen. Let's read it together. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethpage in Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here." (laughs) if anyone asks you why you are untying it, you should say this, the Lord has need of it. Hmm. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them, and as they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Hmm. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the coat. They set to Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near. Already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitudes of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I want to speak to you this morning. From this scripture and other related scriptures and aid of the Holy Spirit, when the truth comes to town, when the truth shows up, you may be seated in the in the presence of God. God, we give you thanks and honor. Hmm. Speak your service. Listen, God, I I feel your presence in this room. Move how you want to move. Say what you want to say. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus name we pray amen. Our text takes us this morning into the streets of Jerusalem. (laughs) Jerusalem is a place that has been for millennia a hotbed of all sorts of things. No matter what generation you have, if you go all down through the annals of history, you can find one small place that is at the center of the world at all times, that no matter where you are in the world, people know what's going on in Jerusalem. (laughs) For in Jerusalem, there have been many works that the Lord has done. And Jerusalem is where he has set his place for his chosen people to worship. There are many things that are going on in Jerusalem, but in this season, there's a lot going on because it is the time of the Passover. And as they're getting ready for Passover and their Jewish feasts and their Jewish traditions, it is customary for many people to travel from all different walks of like and life and all different places into Jerusalem. There are Jewish people that have gone because of diaspora to many different places in different lands. Jews from Africa, Jews from, from the Middle East, Jews from what they would call Asia. There are Jews all over the world and many of them congregate into this sacred space to give glory to God on this day. Why are they celebrating Passover? They are celebrating Passover, because 3,500 years ago, 3,000 plus years ago, the Lord set forth his people free from Egypt. The Lord decided to set his people free from Egypt, and he decided to do so in a spectacular fashion. For the Egyptians were polytheists and they had many gods and we know that Paul says that those who worship gods or false gods actually worship demons so there is something spiritual going on behind the scenes and as they begin to worship their gods and they have oppressed the people of God we see that in the Exodus God begins to do things to attack their gods or their so-called gods or the demons in which they worship and he begins to send 10 plagues upon Egypt and he touches the Nile and makes it red with blood why because they believe in the river God they believe in the God of the Nile and of the river that brings forth life and God is letting them know that the God that you're serving is not a real God at all but a demon and I bring true life and he decides that he is going to deliver his people for all to see and one night God tells Moses I'm going to give you some specific and Instructions and what I want you to do is I want you to bring everybody together for the first seder meal and I want you to go inside your houses and this night I know Satan ha- ha- has has conspired to have Pharaoh to kill all the firstborn of Egypt he did it when Moses was about to be born and and they hid Moses away but God reminds us that we reap what we sow and He says Moses what I want you to do is I want you to get pure lambs and I want you to slaughter those lambs for and I want you to put them on the post of the doors. I want you to put them on the post of the doors and I want you to be able to put it across the, the, the top part of your doors and if you could just uh, uh, imagine a door post with, with, with blood going across it, you would see a cross beam across that door and I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but if you've ever been in a place where you see blood, I don't want to make you squeamish. Blood doesn't generally tend to stay in one place. So what Moses would have literally saw, what they would have literally saw was blood across a cross beam and blood dripping down. And in the center, they would have seen something that looked similar to a cross. They would have seen something similar. They didn't realize what God was doing. But he says, when you see the blood on the doorpost, don't go outside. Just know that death is passing over your house. (laughs) Death will affect the world outside. But death will not affect you on the inside because of the blood. Although death is still reigning in the world in different places. I have secured you and I have. Covered you. <laughs> and now it is as they celebrate what they don't even realize they're celebrating. God is getting ready to sacrifice the final Passover lamb. And what he is literally going to say when he sacrifices this lamb is that although there will be sin and death in the world, if you'll just get up underneath the covering of the blood, <laughs> that what's on the outside will not affect you, that although sin will be on the outside and the wages of sin is death, and every soul that sins, the Bible says, shall die. If you'll come up underneath the covering of the blood of the lamb, that you will find protection. <laughs> So although there are many overarching and underlying stories and many storylines that are going on right now in Jerusalem, we know that the overarching story is that God is about to send the final Passover lamb to the altar. God is about to set mankind free from the wages of sin. Uh, That whosoever, John says, that believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. as we began to quote and you heard the communion service earlier today and, and thank you for all those who participated in the communion service if, if for those of you who weren't able to make it and you watch online you missed a treat if you're way away um, that's okay but if you're in the vicinity you missed out I wish you could be here I'll see you next time and we'll see you next week but God is moving why do we do that because that is our Seder meal we are getting ready to prepare and realize that this commemorates the day that the death angel began to roll over our house. That we were born David said in sin was I born and iniquity was I shaping I was born a dead man walking I was born dead in my sins in my trespasses I wasn't born good I was born worthy to die for the wages of sin was death and I was born in sin I had no hope but all of a sudden the Lord gave us Jesus Christ who the son who the prophet said is the hope of glory he is the hope of better things to come. For two weeks straight, Sister Barbara doesn't know, but she's been preaching my sermon to me before I even get ready to preach my sermon. We we begin to have hope in Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. <laughs> It's because I want you to know that there are people from all different walks of life in Jerusalem. Jesus is at the apex of his popularity. It has only been a little short time since Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And although Jesus has raised other people from the dead, this one's a little special. There have been other prophets that have raised people from the dead there have been prophets that in the old testament have raised people that have been dead and dying Jesus himself has stopped funeral processions and he's touched the dead boy's coffin and the dead boy leaped up out of the coffin he he's walked into Jairus's house and said Talitha to daughter arise and his daughter who was dead was was raised to life but this one's more special why because Jews had a custom that for three days if you came back to life you could be asleep so Jesus does something that's phenomenal he says I'll show you something this time this time, I'm not going to raise them just yet. They said, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus looked at them and says, that's fine. I, and, and here's the thing that would bother me if I was Lazarus. I know that Jesus can just speak the word and I'll be healed. But God seems to be taking his time. What do you do when you what you have seems urgent, but God is still yet taking his time? Lord, they said that this bill is due Monday and it's Sunday evening and you seem to be taking your time. It seems that the doctor said I only have so long and I'm believing you for healing, but uh, you seem to be taking your time. Why are you not moving on my behalf like I need you to move? It's because what you're going through is not about you at all. He, he tells his disciples, this sickness is not unto death, but this sickness is so that the glory of God can be shown, that the glory of God can be revealed. Might I submit to you that some of the things that you are going through in your life, you're going through so God can get the glory out of it. So that when you look at it a different way, even though other people might be chagrining what they're going through, you can raise your hands and give God praise and say, no matter what I'm going through, God, I pray that you get the glory out of my life. (laughs) I don't want to struggle in vain. God, get the glory out of my struggle. I don't want to hurt in vain. God, get the glory out of my pain. I don't want to sorrow in vain. I just want to say weeping may endure for a night, but you get the glory because in the morning, joy will come. God is taking his time and he lets Lazarus, <laughs> he lets Lazarus die. <laughs> and not only does he let Lazarus die, but he allows him to sit in the grave long enough <laughs> for the Mediterranean sun and arid climate to get a hold of his body <laughs> in the heat. And I don't know if you've ever known, but if, if you put a dead body in the heat, it doesn't do so well Turhunt. God was waiting until nobody could deny that Lazarus was dead. He'd been in the grave for three days. He'd been in the grave for a long period of time. And he was locked up in his sarcophagus with a stone over there. Even if he wasn't dead by this time, he would have run out of oxygen. Lazarus was dead as dead could be. And Jesus walks up and he looks up to the sky and he says, he prays and he prays this prayer. And I also, always get excited when I think about what he prayed. He doesn't come and pray and say, I think you're going to do it. But he says, God, I thank you, Father, that you hear me when I pray. <laughs> but that's how we should pray. We should come boldly before the throne of grace with expectation that if we ask anything of the Father in the name of Jesus, according to his will, that he will do just what he said. <laughs> he comes up. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) And as Lazarus comes out, Lazarus comes out and they release his grave coals and let him go. And it becomes the talk of the town. I submit to you that God is strategic. He allows Jesus to do this. Lazarus sickness is timed. Lazarus sickness is, is already preordained because God knows that, that the Jews are coming to town. They're coming to town for Passover and this will be the time that Jesus will have more exposure than any other thing. So if you read the book of John, it said that many people believed on him because of what Lazarus did. That was one type of person But the Bible said that those who were in the religious way, those who had religion set the way they liked in life and religion had afforded them a nice lifestyle and uh, religion had afforded them nice houses and Roman frescoes on the wall. Those type of people didn't like Jesus. And not only did they not like Jesus, they were so hateful of what Jesus did. John said they conspired to kill Lazarus. They they conspired to cover up what God was doing because it didn't fit their narrative. For hundreds of years, they had taken the Ten Commandments that God had given and made over 400 laws. They had made a systematic theology and a systematic religion, and they had made a God that they could control. If you do this, God's going to do that. If you do this, he's going to do this. And you check this box and you follow this law. And not only should you not work on Sunday, but if you drop your ox in, in, on the ground, you got to leave them to Sunday. You can't pick up this because it's considered work. They had made all these rules and regulations. To make Jesus or to make God, rather, in this sense, something that they could understand and something that they could control. But what they did not realize is that God is far beyond our understanding. <laughs> God is far beyond our control. He is not a being that is controlled by the whims of men, but he is the all powerful ever present King of the universe. He is who was, he is who is he, and he is who is to come. <laughs> he is the first, the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And why am I telling you this? Because you need to know what kind of climate into which Jesus is walking. Everybody is not happy to see Jesus. (laughs) There are many people that are taking the palm leaves like you all took during the service and begin to wave them around, but there are other people that don't really want Jesus around. As a matter of fact, if Jesus comes in on the east, sometime around that time, Pilate will come in from the west. And Pilate represents something much different. Pilate comes in representing the might and the power of the Roman Empire. Pilate comes in representing the power of the government. He comes in representing the power of Rome. (coughs) He comes in. As the superpower, the emissary of the superpower of the day. And those religious forces just want peace in Judea. He is not concerned about Jesus as God. He's not concerned about Jesus as Lord. He's just concerned that the Jews behave and not cause a problem. Because if they cause a problem, Caesar's going to take his head. See, there are many more people in the scene in the underlying text that we don't realize that they're there, they're there and they're there for different reasons. So you have people that have just seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead who has been standing, sitting and stinking for four years. I put it to you this way. Imagine going to the funeral home after somebody's been embalmed. Imagine going to the funeral of one of your loved ones and somebody walks in and says, get up and they get up and start walking. You would follow that man after you finish running. (laughs) So many people are looking at the power that Jesus has. And they realize that this could be the Mashiach. This could be the Messiah. This could be the one that has been foretold that will deliver our people from bondage and put back the Davidic line, the King and the throne of David and that kingdom. And so they're excited to see Jesus and they're going about. Everybody's in different parts of their life. Everybody's busy, just like we're busy. Life is busy and filled with many twists and turns. There are so many events in the world. We stopped this morning doing praise team rehearsal, talking about some of the events in life. And if you'll be honest, however old you are, if you really think about it, most of the things that you've lived through, you can hardly even remember. There are a lot of events that if you see come up, I've seen Facebook members come up to me and I've seen those and I say, I don't, I didn't even remember that. It, it's gone back into the recesses of your mind. But every now and then, something happens in your life that doesn't fade into the mundane routines of the day. There are some days and some moments that we will never forget. <laughs> There are some days and events that shape our lives. And as we reminisce and look back across our lives, we realize the significance of those moments. It was at that moment, we was often say, that that event, we realize, changed the normal course and flow of our lives. For the better or for the worse, our life has been disrupted and will never be the same. I remember getting a phone call from my brother telling me that my mother had gone to be with Jesus. And I remember that phone call distinctly because it was at that moment that a great shift happened in my life. And I realized from this point on, I will not have neither mother nor father. I will have a different life. I don't have a covering right there. My life will never be the same. But I also remember the same brother giving me a call saying that a bishop asked for you and he wants to talk to you and, 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 and actually two and, and one of them wants you to go to Detroit. And I remember telling the Lord, I'm not going to Detroit. And I hear distinctly the Lord in my spirit saying you're going to Detroit. Why do I remember that phone call? Because when I got that phone call from the moment I got that phone call, my life, neither your life has never been the same. There are events in our life that change the course and the trajectory of our lives. And today, there are many people as Jesus is getting ready to go into Jerusalem that do not realize how the course and the trajectory of their life is about to change. For Jesus looked at his disciples and gives them keen instructions and said, there is a donkey that's tied up. (laughs) There's a donkey tied up down the street. And I have to. They didn't realize it. But Jesus knew the prophecy of Zechariah. Behold, comes your king, lowly riding on a donkey. And Jesus knew that he had to ride on a coat that nobody had ever sat on. So he told to his disciples, I need you to go down and find this donkey. And when you get this donkey, they're going to ask you what you're doing with him. I want you to look back and just simply say, the master has need of him. Now, from a biblical standpoint, because we know who Jesus is, that doesn't seem such a far-fetched idea. But if it w- I will put it in today's context. Brother Ernie, I need a ride to Ferndale. I want you to go down to the dealership, and I want you to open the door. I want you to take the keys, and I want you to get in the car. And when they ask you where you're going, you just simply tell them the pastor has need of it. <laughs> but because of the popularity of jesus and because of what the lord was ordaining the scene played out just like they said. And the Bible said that they took their cloaks and they threw them over the donkeys. And as they went into the city, other people began to take their cloaks and they began to throw them over where the donkey could step on and making the way and the red carpet for Jesus, making the red carpet for the Messiah. But there were some people that were not happy about Jesus coming. There were some people that were not happy that Jesus Jesus was in the, in the city. Pilate had no idea that although he represented the most powerful kingdom of the day in the world, that he would stand face to face with the most powerful king of the universe that had ever been seen. His life would never be the same. <laughs> Although there are many people from different walks of life and many different social statuses at Jerusalem at the time, there were many people from many different economic classes. They went from poor to opulence, and many different political viewpoints. Many people say Jesus didn't deal with politics. That's because they don't know the culture and they don't know the Bible. Because Jesus was always fussing at the Pharisees, who were the local government of the day. They were not just religious leaders; they were governmental leaders. Jesus was always yelling at. Politicians. His cousin called them vipers and snakes and serpents. Huh. Jesus. It's coming in. And although those people come from many different political viewpoints and many different religious camps, there are different denominations in Jerusalem, just like we have different denominations today, because the Jews had the Pharisees, they had the Sadducees, and they had the Essenes. Some of them believed in the resurrection. Some of them did not. Some of them believed in miracles. Some of them did not. Some of them believed only in the Torah and the first five books of the law. Some of them believed in the prophets and all. There were different. You think there are division today religiously. There was division then. There were people from all different camps and walks of life, That, but they all had one great equalizer and one question that they were going to have to answer. What do we do with Jesus? (laughs) What do we do (laughs) when he shows up? Because Jerusalem right now is a melting pot and it's a hotbed in our lives. And this is something that we all have to acquiesce to. No matter where you sit in life, you will come to the the conclusion that Jesus is a disruptor. (laughs) Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I came to turn father against son and mother against daughter. We always preach a happy go lucky Jesus, but Jesus is a God that when he comes into your life, he forces a decision. Either you are with me or you are against me. You don't have an option to serve me and somebody else. He says that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No man comes to the Father except by me. Well, God, I think there's other way. You can try that if you want, but I've come to disrupt your thinking no man comes to the father except by me Amen. well God that's gonna put me at odds and ends with other people in the world that's gonna put me uh, at odds and ends with Western culture and popular thought and secular humanism that's fine I came to take the world and turn it on his head I came to disrupt and when Jesus shows up what, what was will never be the same How do you respond to the arrival of the king? How can you respond and how will meeting Jesus change the trajectory of your life and your destiny? Many of us in the room know where we would have been or where we could have been if Jesus hadn't stopped us on our road. Many of us know that we did whatever we were big and bad enough to do, that we didn't have God on our mind and we would have died without security in Christ. And all of a sudden, God stopped us on our road. And where I came from, the sea of the saints would explain it like this. Things I used to do. I don't do no more <laughs> things I used to say I don't say anymore places I used to go I don't go anymore nowadays people preach a watered-down gospel and say do and live however you want and the grace of God will cover you but i come to tell you that what the true gospel says is when you meet Jesus things will never be the same You may have struggles, but there will never be a different same day after you meet Jesus. I submit to you this morning that although the Pharisees were rich and they had power, it's not how much money you have. Although they have political political clout, it's not your political affiliation. It is not your denominational or non-denominational acquiescence that determines your destiny. It is simply this question. What do I do with Jesus? He brought hope to those who were oppressed. He brought irritation to those who were spiritually apathetic. The religious people didn't like Jesus because they had put God in his box in their systematic theology. If you do that, God does this. If you do this, God does that as if that that God was at their will and their control, not realizing that the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. How do you know that pastor? I know that because in the old Testament it tells me and science tells me that the earth revolves, uh, the sun revolves around the earth, (laughs) that the sun revolves around the earth at a certain speed and that is moving you're moving thousands of miles an hour and if things hold their normal course when you lay down at night the Sun is going down unless you're in Michigan and you lay down and before 10 o'clock and it's still up for some reason I can't seem to figure that one out but most cases the Sun goes up the Sun comes down but I remember the Bible says that Joshua was fighting a battle <laughs> and he needed some more time to fight that battle and it said that God stopped the Sun you will say logically the sun can't stop no it can't stop for you because you didn't create it but for the one who put flung the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky he can declare whatever he wants Because he's the king. Why is that important to me? Because by logic, the doctor might say there's nothing that they can do. By science, there's nothing they can do. But I declare to someone, why don't you plead to the one who made your body and is able to restore your body and able to heal your body? Because he's a disruptor. I submit to you this morning that you need to ask yourself the question. What do I do with the Jesus? What do I do with my life after I have encountered him though? There were some fans of religion, but they didn't like Jesus. They had put him in a box. And as a matter of fact, they got irritated when they saw people giving glory to God because they took their palm leaves and, and they began to say, Hosanna glory to God in the highest praise. God for the coming king. What they were essentially saying, is, long live the king. And they were saying, long live the king of Israel. What they didn't realize is that they were also declaring long live the king of the universe. Amen. See, some people are comfortable with a box to check because it requires little effort. They, they want to be told when to show up to church. They want to be told when to give. They want to be told when to read their Bible. They, because they, it requires effort to lean on the Holy Spirit and let him guide you and lead you into all truth. But God is not, he didn't come to establish a religion. God, Jesus himself, came to establish a kingdom. He said, repent. John said, For the kingdom of God is at hand. (laughs) He established what you see in Palm Sunday is a declaration that the kingdom of God is at hand. The rules that the World uses no longer apply to those who are citizens of the kingdom. What do you mean? If I go to another country, that country has rules and it has laws. But in most countries, there is a place where I can get diplomatic immunity. If you go to the embassy of that place, although you're sitting on that soil, that little sliver of soil declares that this is American soil. Therefore, under this soil, I am governed by the laws of this country even though I'm in another country that means that although I'm inside of your country i uh, inside of your country I'm inside another government or another kingdom what are you saying pastor that we live in the United States and yes you may or may not be United States citizens but wherever your citizenry is I come to tell you this that your kingdom and your citizenship is in heaven Why is that important? That means that we don't just go by the rules of our kingdom on earth, that when the rules of our kingdom on earth come into conflict with the rules of the kingdom of heaven, we have to obey the kingdom of heaven. For Peter put it this way, it is better for us to obey God than man. We're governed by another kingdom. Jesus is a disruptor. When Jesus comes, life will never be the same. For some, it is a celebration when Jesus shows up because Jesus changes their life and their life is never the same. For some people, it is a nuisance because you can't tell that your white shirt is dirty until somebody else shows up with a whiter shirt than yours. (laughs) You can't tell that your church is dead until somebody shows up with a church that's liver than yours, where the spirit of God is really alive and working and active in you begin to say, when I compare the two, this one looks like a church. It acts like a church, but there is no conversion. People are not changing. People are doing the same thing. I get a motivational speech, but I don't get the word of God. You can tell the difference. And that is not always necessarily the biggest church for here it is. The king of the universe did not ride into Jerusalem on a stallion like Pilate would have done. He rode in on a donkey. He rode in in a lowly way. What king do you know that comes in on a donkey? He didn't come with a presidential entourage and the Secret Service. He didn't come with bulletproof glass around his car and special-made Cadillacs from Cadillac, cars from Cadillac. He came in a Chevette. Brother Bob said he used to own a Chevette. I'm sorry, Brother Bob. (laughs) He didn't come with pomp and circumstance. Because when you're the king, you don't need to announce to everybody who you are. You are who you are. (laughs) And no matter what he's riding, he's still Jesus. Why is that important to me? Because if you are a child of God, you are a child of the king and the spirit of God lives in you and what you have does not determine who you are. You can have no money in your pocket and you are still a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. First Peter two and nine said, you are a child of the most high God. I'm so glad that God doesn't check bank accounts and credit scores in previous history. He doesn't do background checks before he saves you. There are some places that may not let you in the door. There are some people that may not hire you, but God looks at all your credit history. He looks at all your dirty history and he, he puts on Access granted. All you have to do is believe in my son. And you can be welcomed into my kingdom. This is what happens when the truth shows up, when the truth comes to town. Jesus is letting us know that sometimes truth can either be received, but it cannot be endured by everyone. For here are the people that are supposed to know the Bible. The Pharisees are supposed to know the law. They're supposed to know the prophets. They're supposed to know, they they know very well when they see Jesus coming in on the donkey, that he's coming in like Zechariah said he would. They know that they have seen with their own eyes that Jesus has raised a man from the dead. But when they come in, their hearts are so hardened by religion. Their hearts are so hardened by what they think they know and by their pride. That when they see Jesus, rather than picking up a palm leaf and saying, I'm going to praise him too. Maybe he'll have some favor in my life. They look at him and get upset and say, why are you not rebuking them? Why are you not telling them to welcome you as a king? Who do you think you are? And they are saying what they do with Jesus. But if you haven't forgotten, I said what you do with Jesus will determine the rest of your life. For some will say, Hosanna. And three days later, they will say crucify him. Mm-hmm. By the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Jesus opines and he says, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <coughs> I wanted, I wanted to save you. But because when I came, you decided to reject me. This temple that you made to worship me, when I showed up, isn't that amazing? They worshiped God for a millennia, and when God showed up, they couldn't recognize who he was. How many people? go to church day in and day out and have been going to church since they were a toddler. But when God shows up, they don't recognize him. And he opines because he said, you see these walls, these big walls that Herod has brought that are magnificent and that are powerful, that were made to show my glory. He says, in a few years, not one of these stones will stand on the other. Why? Because of what you decided to do with Jesus. There's somebody listening to the the sound of my voice. And you may not be in the room right now. You might be listening to this later. But what you do with Jesus matters. Hebrews says it this way. The day you hear my voice, harden not your heart. This is the moment. This is the time. This could be your time. That it changes the rest of your life forever. What you do with Jesus matters. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. How will you respond to him when he shows up? What are you going to do this summer when the Lord says shut the doors and go outside and have service outside? Well, Lord, people have been having church on Sunday and this is what we do. We come in and it's, it's air conditioning here and it's nice. Yes, for you in here, but there's some people out there who aren't going to come in here. What will you do with Jesus? when he tells you to put on an encounter shirt or whatever shirt and walk down through the streets of Royal Oak and declaring and saying Jesus is Lord I'd like to introduce Christ to you what will you do with Jesus when he says I need to talk to you because you've given me your life but you're still holding on to some secret sins in your life and I need you to give me that what will you do with Jesus that he's talking to you right now you know who he is saying you think you're hiding but I see you I see what What man and woman can't do and what the decision you make today will determine the rest of your life. What will you do when the truth shows up? What will you do with Jesus? Will you get excited about the truth just like the people that walked in but not endure? Will you come in and say praise God? But in a few days, we've turned our back. What will we do with Jesus? Will you get mad like the Pharisees and reject the truth he's given you? Or will you be like the disciples that walked alongside him and said, I may run a little bit, I may get a little scared, but one thing I'm determined... I'm gonna be like Peter. He says, where will we go? John chapter six, Jesus gives some hard truth. Some of that truth we read this morning in communion. Jesus says some things in a harsh way. He talked in parables and he talked in riddles and they asked him why? He says, cause everybody doesn't need to understand. Some people's hearts are darkened, but those people who are really seeking, they'll see. And he kept saying that is one of the most comical uh, uh, ver- uh, chapters in the Bible, John chapter six, because Jesus knows, he says, you're not following me. Because you believe in who I am, you're following me for the bread and the loaf. You're following me for what you can get out of me. So he begins to be, to put into a parable what his death, death, burial, and resurrection will be. That his blood and his body will be broken for us for that communion we celebrate. And he looks at them and says it into a hard way. Unless you can eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. That's This man is a cannibal. What's, what's wrong with him? simply because they had ears to hear, but could not hear. They had eyes to see, but could not see. And what did they do with Jesus? John 6 in chapter 66, although there are no chapters in the Bible when it's written, we added those later. There are no verses. We added those later so we could keep up with where things were. I find it ironic that this verse is John chapter 6, verse 66. (laughs) It says, and from that time, many walked away from him and walked with him no more. They decided that following him was too hard. That they didn't love him enough to do whatever he said, because that's what a call to Christianity is. Most we don't like that, but a call to follow Jesus is a call to abandon what you want to do. I heard a preacher say it this way: that in order to usher in the kingdom of God, you got to usher your kingdom out. Uh, that's when he said it, something leaped in me because that's the truth. The only way you can usher the kingdom of God in is to usher your kingdom. Your rules have to leave and his has to stay. And Jesus looked at them and he's basically asking Peter a question, what will you do with me? He looks at the other disciples and he says, will you go too? Most pastors I know, if you lose the majority of your congregation just off of one sermon you preach, you would go back and you call old people and say, that's not really meant. Really I'm sorry. Let's put this together. That's what most pastors do, don't they, Brother Day? They try to, try to straighten it out and they try to find ways to get other people, oh my goodness, my people are leaving. But Jesus Jesus knows that they don't, he doesn't need them. They need him. And he turns to his disciples and said, do you want to go too? That is not a church growth seminar type of message. But Peter gets it. He asks, answers the question. Where else would we go? For you have the words of eternal life. And the Bible says <laughs> that on top of the New Jerusalem, in the base of the city, there are some names there, Tehran. Pastor Ernie, do you know whose names are there? <laughs> One of those names, says Peter, because of what he decided to do with Jesus. I promise you this, there's some things I cannot absolutely promise to you. I cannot promise to you that by giving God your whole heart, some of them have given him our life, but we haven't given him our entire life. I cannot promise you that you won't have pain. I cannot promise you that you won't have disappointment. I cannot promise you that you will not have struggle. I cannot promise you that things will always go right. But what I can promise you is that one day God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And whatever you gave up, you didn't give up. Peter said, we have given up everything to follow you. He said, you didn't give up everything. But this is the thing. He that gave up mother and father and sons. He said this, not only will you gain in this life, but you'll gain in the next. I promise this to you. If you'll give up your life for Jesus, in the next you will gain so much more. What will you do with Jesus? Because the choice is yours. Just like he rode into that town. He's riding right now in this building. He's knocking on the doors of your heart. Many of us in this room are already saved. But we also know that although we've given him our lives, there are little secret compartments in our heart that he's been asking us to give to him. Secret fears, secret anxieties, secret doubts. And he's saying, give it to me. And you know what we do, Brother Bob? This is what we do. Come up, come up. I'm about to make the altar call in a second, and Brother Dave's going to finish that. We come up to the altar call, and we say, Here you go, Jesus. And as soon as the altar call finishes, they say, Can I get that back, Jesus? (laughs) They don't leave it at the altar, they take it right back. Today, I'm offering you one of those moments that I described that if you do what I ask you to do today, your life will never be the same. Amen. What you do with Jesus matters. If you can't walk to this altar, but if you come to this altar, I want you, whatever's in your life that you know you need to give to God, I want you to give it to him today. But this time, I want you to leave it there. He is the all-powerful king. We say, Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. What would you do with Jesus? My heart, my mind. Can you say that? My soul belongs to you. Come on, Brother David. You pay the price for me. The altar is open. Way back on Calvary. That's why I praise you. What will you do today? I lift you up and I magnify
0: your